Amen. Thank you, choir and Tiffany. We appreciate all of you so much uh, for leading us in worship. We want to turn to 2 Corinthians this morning, to chapter 5. If you were with us on Wednesday night, we saw the Apostle Paul talking about, and the verses building up to this, being controlled by the love of Christ. That's what motivated him uh, to be what he was and do what he did and impact the lives of people as far as he could reach in one lifetime. When we study the Bible, we see that it gets off to a really good start. As a creator God, he creates. He creates all things. He creates all things and declares them to be good because they are his creation. And everything's perfect. And there's peace in the universe and grace abounding. And everything is wonderful. And then the fall comes. Fall's not a biblical term, it's a theological term that's used to describe what goes on in the Bible, but from chapter 3 of Genesis on, things are broken. Things are broken all around you. Uh, maybe the things that you own or the things that you drive or the place where you live, but things are broken and breaking and, and wearing out and wearing down. From Genesis 3 on to the end of the book, to get to what the choir just sang about, all the way down at the end of the line, in between is this huge process of getting things back to where they need to be. And you could use a number of terms to describe that. One of the terms that comes out of the New Testament describing that is reconciliation. Uh, you could get your own dictionary. I looked up in Noah Webster's old, old, old English uh, dictionary. The word reconcile, and it means to call back into union, to put things back together. Somebody you know needs to have some reconciliation in their family. Somebody you know needs some reconciliation and some issue in their own personal life. Your nation needs some reconciliation. We need things to get right, to get back in place, the pieces back together. And God goes to this huge effort portrayed to us down through the Old and New Testaments to reconcile us from our sinful state, from our brokenness, from our distance from Him, back into harmony with Him, into right relationship with Him, and the center of His purposes for us. It's to that subject that Paul turns in verse 17. Having described his own personal experience and his love for people, his uh, uh, drivenness on the basis of what God has done in his life, he comes to us in verse 17 and he says, Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Well, literally, it's become new. Uh, that's a tremendous thought, uh, maybe especially for someone here this morning. In Christ, uh, you get a new start, a new creation. A lot of people... Uh, come to Jesus, they make a profession of faith in Christ, they join the church, they get baptized and live miserably for years and years after that in the, the mess of the past. And somehow Paul the Apostle wants us to say, no, 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 we're new creations in Christ. There's a powerful liberation that comes with genuine Christian conversion. I want us to see something in each of the five verses that relate to reconciliation. And in this verse, I want us to see the result of reconciliation. You get a new start. The old things are passed away, he says. Uh, they're done with. 
Now that doesn't mean that if you've had a troubled past, a rebellious past, or you've got things that have gone on in the past, that there will not be future consequences to that, but you have a new start in Christ and a platform from which you can deal with that past and go on to spiritual victory. It doesn't mean that uh, you won't have to deal with some of the transition. It doesn't mean that life will be perfect and flawless in the future, but it does mean that you have a new citizenship. You have a new standing. You are in Christ. And he says it's like new. A lot of folks play games now, video games, all these games, you know, and one of the really neat things about those is if you lose, you just hit the reset button and you start all over again. You can play chess on my iPad and you can play at all kind of levels and you can set it real low and win all the games and feel really good about yourself. <laughs> or you can crank it on up and there's no way to beat the computer because it's thinking 20 moves down the road and it misses nothing and you miss some, at least some things and it's going to beat you. And somewhere in between you find where you like to play. But when you lose, you just start over and you do it again. And life is not quite so simple, is it? But Paul says, in a sense, you can do that in Christ, uh, not in your own strength, not in your own cleverness, not through your electronics, but in Christ, uh, you can be a new creation. You can have incredible uh, victory over the past and a glorious future for your personal life. You can do it. Your family can do it. Your nation can do it. Uh, there is a newness that comes through Christ and uniquely through Christ, only through Christ at the level that the Apostle Paul describes here. Now, good people do good things that help things be better. But what he's talking about is so profound that it can only come through the Christ, through Jesus. So he says, folks, I want you to know that. And don't go around as Christians, you Corinthians, uh, dragging around the baggage of the past when you can be set free in Christ to do something profound with the balance of your life. It may be that there's somebody at First Baptist Church this morning that needs to uh, lay the past down and get on with being victorious in Christ, living with purpose, living with joy, living with direction in life. He says in verse 18, Now all things are from God. I've already said he's the creator God. Anything that you've got in your life that's good and worthy comes to you from God. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled himself, us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, you could almost take any one of these five verses we look at this morning and make that the whole thing and develop it further and say this is the theme. But as we've seen in other paragraphs in uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul is stacking a lot of theological truths in there, almost like dominoes in, in a row, and, and they all kind of uh, depend on each other and uh, encourage each, other's, each other thought. He says, all these things come from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. I want to come back to that uh, thought again in, in a, a verse or two. But again, it's through Christ, <clears throat> brought back into union with God through Christ. 
And the message, the consistent message of the Bible is don't try to get there any other way, you will not succeed. That's why Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me, through me. And Paul says that's the root of reconciliation. There is a, a root, there's a, a road that leads to being at, at peace with God and union with God. Four spiritual laws. Law one, God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. He wants you related to him, connected to him, in harmony with him and his word, walking with him. And there's a way to get there. But you can't get there on your own. You can't get there with your own map. You've got to follow his. You can strike out in all kind of directions and go all kind of places in your automobile this afternoon. But if you have a particular destination in mind, you better know which road is the correct road. And Paul says the correct road to get where you want to be in your spirit today is through Christ. Nothing else is really going to, everything else is going to take you off in the wrong direction. And somewhere out there, you're going to have to reorient and start over and aim back toward Christ. He is the channel that God has provided. He is the means set before you to get right with God. Christ and Christ alone. And he says not only that, uh, not only is it through Christ, but that same Jesus has turned around and entrusted to us profoundly the ministry of reconciliation. Now, Paul here in this passage talks about his own role as an apostle as a missionary, and what he talks about has a particular application for him as that apostolic missionary. But there's a more general application that I think applies to everybody in the room this morning that's Christian. If you are reconciled to God through Christ, you have reconciliation as your cause now. It is your purpose to be involved in the process of seeing other people reconciled to God through Christ. That's your responsibility. Uh, that has been given to you, he says, uh, by the same one who has reconciled you. So I don't know what you get excited about. Probably not football too much anymore. But um, whatever it is that excites you, Christians, you ought to be excited about the ministry of reconciliation. That somehow God has, in his, his amazing grace, reached down and changed your life and then said, now I want to use you. In my toolbox of ministry, I want you to be used of me to impact other people's lives. <clears throat> but it starts with Christ, with your own experience with Christ. Verse 19, it's a little hard to translate. It's sort of tricky. The New American Standard says, namely, which is a good way to kind of bridge into that, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now don't be misled. That does not mean everybody goes to heaven. That all the world uh, will be redeemed in the absolute sense. And every, every, everything's so completely dealt with that uh, there's not a faith responsibility on the part of individuals. But he does say uh, that God is involved in reconciling uh, the world or his created order <coughs> in a profound way, <clears throat> calling back to himself. 
that which is created by him and which has rebelled against him, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Again, in verse three, uh, this third thing in verse 19, uh, our responsibility in reconciliation, it's been committed to us. <clears throat> Literally, it's been placed on us or appointed to us this word of reconciliation. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian, that has been <clears throat> done for you and then in turn entrusted to you. Reconciling the world. Now you cannot impact the whole world. You're not big enough or good enough, but you can certainly take on a little slice of it. You've got a place where you live that's surrounded by people who need Jesus, I promise you. You come to a church where people come with all their baggage and all their hurts and their needs and, and they need the love of Christ here and you can be a part of that. He has committed to us, Paul says, the word of reconciliation as a part of the process of reconciling the world to himself. Now when the New Jerusalem, uh, our choir's New Jerusalem comes down and, and it will all be totally reconciled to himself. <clears throat> There'll be people that are missing because they didn't heed the apostles' words here, but uh, things will be brought back into order <clears throat> under the absolute lordship of Christ, and you can be a part of that. And he says there won't be a counting of your trespasses anymore. Isn't that a remarkable thought? Think about all the stuff you've, you've said and done and thought in your life and the idea that none of that will be counted against you is an incredible thought. That's what the, the grace theme of the first half of the service was really all about. That not because we deserve it, but because God is so profoundly transforming and is reaching love for us, <clears throat> those things are dealt with. It's not held against us. It's not counted against us. It's not in your, uh, your permanent record. <clears throat> you know, you've got this imaginary, some of you may have a real permanent record somewhere, I don't know. Uh, probably at some schools somewhere and uh, various other places and the government knows who you are and what you've paid and haven't paid and those kind of things. But uh, when it comes to you, the, the, the permanent record that really matters in Christ, those things are dealt with, <clears throat> not counted to your account. Therefore, Paul likes therefore, which means looking back on that. Considering those realities, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. <clears throat> now, Paul doesn't use a noun ambassador here. It's built into the verb uh, so that he really says, therefore, because of all those things, because of the reconciliation we have in God through Christ, we function as ambassadors for Christ. If I go back in my own life, back to my early adult years, pre-seminary years, back at First Baptist Atlanta, uh, one of my heroes there was not a church staff member, but a missionary who attended the church, Ian North. Ian North was perhaps the most godly individual I ever met. Uh, uh, real encouragement to me, he had four children who attended Columbia, what's now Columbia International, where Kennedy is and Gideon and Justin were. Uh, he was a substitute preacher on a number of occasions at First Baptist when the pastor was out. 
and he operated a mission organization out of Atlanta that went all around the world called Ambassadors for Christ. And that's the first time I encountered that terminology. I thought he just was clever and made that up. And then I later came to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 20. And Paul says, no, we're ambassadors for Christ. Wouldn't it be cool to be an ambassador? Sometimes that's a job that's a reward for those who have uh, done certain things politically and they're in good favor with the president. And <clears throat> so they get to sent to some country somewhere. Uh, most of them are pretty good assignments. Some of them are dangerous or purposeless. But sometimes it's a pretty cushy job. Sometimes it's a profoundly important role. <clears throat> when you go uh, as an ambassador of the United States, you go in the name of the President of the United States and the people of the United States representing this country before some foreign power. It's a role of great significance, great influence. <clears throat> when I was at the University of Georgia uh, a long, long time ago, we won't talk about Georgia too much today, but uh, when I was there, we had a faculty member who had come back from the front lines of the highest level of politics. Dean Rusk was there. He had been the Secretary of State for Lyndon Johnson and Kennedy before him. He was there uh, through all the great events of the 60s. He had uh, been there at the, um, the issue of the Bay of Pigs invasion and uh, involved with the behind the scenes. I remember going one night and there were only about eight people that showed up, but there was a poster put on the bulletin board. If you want to meet Dean Rusk and talk politics, come to the little room in Russell Hall. So I went. I like politics and stuff. So I went and almost nobody showed up. I thought, man, this is one of the most important men of the 1960s. This guy's incredible. And, and so it was really kind of uh, cool to be there. But he described the, the role of ambassadorship representing the United States <clears throat> off the radar uh, with the news cameras not rolling and nobody knowing what's really going on while ships were circling around uh, Cuba and all of that. And he described for us how they got out of that. I'll, I'll tell you someday uh, how we resolved the Cuban Missile Crisis. But it was really pretty cool to uh, hear this Secretary of State, this super ambassador, describe the process. And the Bible says, you as Christians, <clears throat> now I know the, the first application is Paul the Apostle here talking about his mission, but I think the application rolls over to all of us. <clears throat> we are ambassadors for Christ. God has sent you into the setting where you are to make a difference. Whatever age you are, whatever uh, setting you go to on a daily basis, you are there on mission for Christ. And you don't have to just go on a mission trip somewhere or have some particular ministry. Some, everywhere you go, you're ambassadors for Christ. You're a representative of the cause. <clears throat> There's no place you can go where it's not important for you to be on your best game for the cause of Christ. For many people, you are the representative of what Christ is and what the Christian faith is. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. And today and tomorrow and somewhere this week, God is going to make an appeal to somebody in Lawrence County through you. He says, we beg you on behalf of Christ. 
be reconciled to God. We beg you. Now, maybe that's aimed at you this morning. Maybe uh, God is speaking to you and saying, look, please get it right. Please turn your life and your priorities. Get it right. Paul says, literally, I beg you. I, it, it can be translated as I ask, or I, but it's better I beg or I implore you. One translation has it. Please, I beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you, do you pick up on <clears throat> Paul's heart there? Do you pick up on his emotion, uh, his burden for these particular people at, at Corinth? Do you have anybody <clears throat> in your mind, in your heart, uh, for whom you pray like that, to whom you speak like that? I, I urge you, get right with God. Don't let this season of opportunity slip from you. Be reconciled to God. Be brought back into union with God. It can happen through Christ. And Paul is the burdened missionary. That's his role as an ambassador. That's your role tomorrow in Lawrence County as ambassadors. You don't have to be appointed by the president. You've been appointed by Christ through the Apostle Paul as ambassadors for Christ. What an opportunity you have. What an incredible responsibility you bear. It's yours. That's who you are in Christ. Verse 21, the last verse of this paragraph, he says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God and him. <clears throat> now, for a few minutes this week, I thought about uh, skipping those first four verses and just doing verse 21 uh, because of its importance. It is the gospel. It is the, the heart of all the gospel. On Tuesday nights, our Booten Parker pastor's class is going through Wayne Grudem's. There are two Grudem books. One's about 1,200 pages and one's about 500 pages. So we're going through the 500-page one, the manageable one. And it's still loaded for bear and got all kind of material in there. And because of our meeting at Turkey Creek a few weeks ago, we moved up the section on justification and studied it early. It would naturally flow in the course in a few weeks but Grudem there brings us to what Paul's talking about in verse 21. He talks about going from a one condition to another condition to another. And he draws neat little circles. And in the first circle are all these negative signs representing sin and the sin problem and the particular sins in one's life. And moving from that to the clean, clear circle, <clears throat> Grudem describes is showing those sins as having been dealt with. And then you move from there to Grudem's third circle, which is filled with little crosses, which represent the things of Christ, righteousness. Paul's describing that for us here as he writes to the Corinthians. And he says he made him who knew no sin, the one not having known sin, literally. That's Jesus, of course. Everybody has known sin. Paul Talks about that in Romans. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, except for Jesus. And so the one not having known sin is Jesus. And God says, uh, Paul says, God made Jesus sin for you on your behalf. 
That's kind of strange, isn't it? That's a hard concept. Uh, you know, there's a, a place in the Old Testament where Moses lifts up a serpent on a pole because they're in the desert and people are getting snake bites and all that. And God says, just well, hold, hold a pole up with a serpent on it. And everybody that looks at it will be all right. It's kind of a goofy sort of thing. And what's that about? Well, it was a, a symbol. It was a way of immediate deliverance from a, a minor problem uh, that aimed their attention theologically into the future for a profound deliverance from a greater problem, the, the, the problem of sin. And I used to struggle with, well, if that's a symbol of Christ, why is it a serpent on the pole? And what's that? And, and the idea Paul describes here, uh, Jesus lifted up on the cross. It's not a pretty picture. It's a picture of your sin and the, the consequences of your sin. So he says, he made him who was absolutely sinless to be sin for you. All your stuff, all your problems, all your rebellion, all your attitudes, all your gossip or whatever your problem is, it's all on Christ. God put it there on the one who was absolutely sinless so that somehow coming through the process, you can find reconciliation, absolute, total, complete reconciliation. Our righteousness is is a result of the reconciliation that Paul describes in this paragraph. Your righteousness comes to you in two ways. First way is it's just a legal declaration. Before you're perfect, certainly before you're perfect, and with a lot of stuff still there, in Christ you've placed your faith and God looks down and he sees Christ and he declares you to be righteous. He says, what I see when I look into that individual's life is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? A God that's absolutely holy, absolutely pure and perfect, and who has called us to a high standard, and knowing that we would fail, looks down and says, I see the character of Jesus in that individual. In spite of all the sin baggage that's there, it's a legal declaration <clears throat> not based on anything that you've done, but based on his grace and mercy. So that's the objective or the, the legal transaction. Now that initiates a process whereby the righteousness of Christ is gradually through sanctification built in to your life experience. That's a part of reconciliation. You might come to Christ uh, with your life a mess. Your family may be broken. Your personal life may be broken. You may have harmed people. There may be a lot of things that you need to deal with. But the process begins. And when Christ is Lord and the Holy Spirit is operative in your life and you're searching the scriptures and these things become uh, what your daily experience is about, it becomes a personal thing that transforms who you are so that you are literally reconciled to the will of God. Not just legally declared righteous, you increasingly become righteous. You become like Jesus, the Redeemer, who has made sin on your behalf. And it's not just that all the sins are erased, but that your life begins to be filled with, as in Grudem's illustration, with the little the crosses, with the things of Christ. Those begin to characterize who you are. So that it's not just, uh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, I, I'm, I'm a spirit-filled believer that's excited about the will of God for my life and I'm doing something in response to what he's done 
for me. Paul says he has taken the ministry of reconciliation, getting things right. And with that, he's redeemed you, but he has now placed on you the great responsibility and privilege of reconciling others to the kingdom. So there you go, ambassadors. Got a room full of ambassadors this morning, and you all have responsibilities to go forth and represent the cause of Christ. What could be a more exciting purpose for living? I'm, I'm excited about that. In fact, if, if, you, if you took that away, I'd say, just take me on to heaven. If, if that's not going to be a factor, if it's, if it's just all the stuff that the world has to offer, that's not very exciting by comparison. But to be an ambassador for Christ, wow, what a great opportunity. You can do it in your Sunday school class in a few minutes. You can do it on Monday nights at Celebrate Recovery. You can do it where you work tomorrow. You are ambassadors for Christ. Oh, may God give us uh, joy in the process and discernment and wisdom and motivation to be exactly that. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we're grateful this morning that in Christ and through Christ we have been redeemed and called out of darkness into your wonderful light. We cannot comprehend the fullness of the wonder of our salvation. We praise you for reconciling us back to yourself when we were unworthy. Now, Lord, we hear the apostles' words saying that we also now bear the ministry of reconciliation, so Lord, use us uh, to do that. And Lord, may it be that each of us somewhere along the trail in this coming week will be used of you to draw someone else out there closer to yourself. I pray for reconciliation in our own lives. I pray for some families that need to be reconciled, individuals one to another. I pray for uh, the needs of our nation and our culture that we might be healed and transformed and, and brought close to your word. Forgive us for our our carelessness and our sinfulness and our indifference and our complacency. Uh, Father, we want to be back where you want us to be. Uh, heal us, Lord, and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.